Great to see you here to celebrate the birth of our King, our Savior. Uh, welcome you here. If you're a visitor with us and I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Jason. I have the honor and privilege of pastoring here at Solid Rock Church. And so I'm excited that you're here with us this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 as we take a look together at this beautiful narrative of the Christmas story. And uh, so I'll give you a minute to turn there if you would like. There are Bibles under the chairs around you if you want to open one and follow along. Uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 2. Uh, my prayer for us this morning, I'll just share with you, is I prepared in my own heart to be here with you this morning, uh, twofold. One, that each one of us would be able to truly behold the majesty and the wonder of the night that the Christ was born, that we would look at the story from the scripture and see uh, more than just a small story in human history, but an unfolding greater story of the king who chose to be born a baby to die. In addition to that, as I've prepared this week, I've prayed for you that God would allow you to see your own story from a different light. Despite whatever may be going on in the small narrative of your life, that today you would see a bigger picture and that you would truly come to know that there is a bigger story being written in the universe and your small story is, is one that God is inviting into his story. And so we're going to look today at Luke chapter 2, this uh, narrative, the unfolding of the nativity. Uh, this, this, uh, as we read this, it's going to conjure up, hopefully, uh, imagery in your mind, maybe of a nativity scene that you have at your house or one you've passed by uh, somewhere uh, store or in the church. And so you're going to have images in your mind of what's unfolding. And so let's look at this first and foremost from Mary and Joseph's perspective. Uh, a young couple, newly married, pregnant, and, uh, and they're on a journey to Bethlehem. So we'll pick this up in verse 1 of chapter 2. Luke writes these words, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This, this was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So as we begin to think of the Christmas story, we, uh, we glimpse upon a very familiar uh, human story of a young man and a young woman uh, pregnant for the first time. I try to, I try to grasp this from, from Mary's perspective, how difficult this moment truly was. Um, I, I don't know that it, it quite looked the same way that we celebrate Christmas today. I think there was a lot of loneliness and fear. Um, there was a lot of darkness um, dirtiness, being out in a manger giving birth. Some of you mothers can probably relate on a level that I can't relate. I can't imagine uh, if you could. The only person there to comfort you and help you in this first childbirth is your husband. I mean, really, I don't know what our role truly is in, in this process other than to, to be there, right, to blame for everything wrong in the universe at that moment. But, but young Mary, um, right, never given birth, no mom, no aunt, no medical assistance, no more experienced women or grandmothers there to say it's going to be okay. Here's what you need to do. All she has is young Joseph, who this is his first go around. Not that he was going to be much help anyway, right? And so they're, they're traveling to Bethlehem, nine months pregnant. You know in their mind, they're thinking there's a good chance this is going to go down when we're out of town. And so as they stroll into Bethlehem, they try to check in at the inn, right? That would have been a, a decent place to give birth. They realize there's no room. And they're going to have to go out back to the manger, and this is where the story unfolds. Now, this is from, from a human perspective what's taking place. 
What we're going to do this morning is look at God's perspective as he unfolds this beautiful story of this young couple. Now, as you can imagine, in this culture, more so than today, uh, to be pregnant before you're married was quite a big deal, quite a, quite a shameful experience. And so um, such that we read in the Gospels that Joseph even thought about divorcing and walking away from Mary quietly to avoid the unnecessary embarrassment. So now here they are in Bethlehem, and not only are, is she pregnant, they're newly married, he's got to register his family uh, in the census. And so one of the questions that's going to be asked is, oh, is this your wife? Yes. How long have you been married? A couple months. Oh, really? And so in addition to all that's going on, this, this, this idea of shame and embarrassment is coming back up again for them as they're rejected from the inn to go out back to the manger to give birth. Now, we notice some things, though, as Luke tells the story. First thing we notice so far, twice we've already seen the name David come up. It's going to come up again before we finish today a third time. And so as this narrative unfolds for Mary and Joseph, God is unfolding a bigger story here as he mentions King David. Now, going back um, over a thousand years in human history from this point, we find King David. And if you know, King David was given to the people of Israel to come and to be a better king. He was known to be a man after God's own heart. And after King David's reign, the prophets would put him back to David and say, there's going to be another king who comes, a king like David, a better king, but, in, but instead he'll rule and reign forever. And so the people of Israel would look back at, at King David as, as a monumental person in their history, not just for what he did, but what, for, for what God promised to do through one of his descendants. And so specifically, we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God is speaking through a prophet to David about this very thing. In 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 12, God speaks this prophecy to David. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, David, when you pass away, I will raise up your offspring after you. Now, if we just read that, we think, well, he's his, child, his son, his grandson, that's what he's getting to, but he's looking further forward than that. Not only is he looking into the descendants of David, look at what he says. Who shall come from your own body, I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So unlike you, David, and even unlike your son, your son Solomon and his son and his son, from your lineage I will raise up a better king. One from your very bloodline, but the difference will be he will rule and reign over the people of God forever. Not only that, verse 14, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Now the people of Israel for over a thousand years latched onto this prophetic promise as they look forward to this better king who would come, this descendant of David. And so already as we're watching this small human narrative unfold, we're beginning to see glimpses of a much bigger story, aren't we? A story that didn't just begin with a journey to Bethlehem. It began ages and ages before the birth of the Christ. As God points out through the gospel writer Luke, this is my story I'm telling. Now there's a couple other things I notice already. One is the place in which Jesus is born, Bethlehem. That wasn't an accident. We know back 700 plus years before the birth of Christ through the prophet Micah, God spoke and described the birth of this better king who would be born this one from David. 
In chapter 5 of Micah, we read these words, God speaking through the prophet, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is, a, is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. Speaking forward of the birth of this king, for now shall be great, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth in this beautiful promise, and he shall be their peace. What a beautiful and familiar promise. Spoken first through the prophet Micah, 700 years before Jesus was born. This one to be born in Bethlehem, born of a woman. He will be their peace. But not only that, even in Mary and Joseph being rejected from the inn and and, and led out back to whatever was left. See, we read this story from a human perspective. It looks like Mary and Joseph were rejected, right? But when we look at it from God's perspective, we go all the way back, almost 700 years back before this story to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53. He describes the coming of the king and what it will be like. From the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, he describes the coming of the king this way. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. Meaning he would, he would be born, first of all, tender as a baby and grow up before them. But look at how he describes the coming king, for he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and one from whom men would hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. You see, if we we pass by the nativity and we simply look at it from a human perspective, we see Mary and Joseph who were rejected by men, but we look at this from God's perspective. It wasn't a Mary and Joseph who were being rejected. It was God's son from the moment he was born being rejected. And so Mary and Joseph out back, Mary gives birth. And we continue the narrative in verse 8 of Luke 2. This is where the shepherds come in, some of my favorite characters in the whole nativity story. Verse 8, and in the same region, so close by, Bethlehem, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Very familiar scenario for them. This is what the Bedouins do. They travel with their flocks from pasture to pasture, from water to water, and they sleep out under the stars. These were some pretty smelly dudes, pretty rugged-looking group of guys here, right? And, uh, and so they're there in the quiet of the night, and uh, if you've ever been out in the quiet of the night, something happens, something out of place, it grips your heart with fear, and that's what happens to these guys. And verse 9 says, here's what happens. And an angel of the Lord appeared. Now, right now, we only have one angel. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear, to say the least. Verse 10, and the angel speaks to them. The angel said to them, fear not. Don't be scared. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, what a fantastic proclamation from the angels. You know, it's one thing if my three-year-old says, I'm happy about something, right? Something is giving me great joy. Like, you can just turn on the right cartoon and his heart is filled with great joy, right? Uh, But this is an angel of the Lord saying, 
I'm bringing some good news that will bring you great joy. Everything about Christmas is supposed to bring to our hearts great joy, not burden, not the burden of unnecessary debt and feeling guilty, and, but truly a sense of great joy. Now, in order for this baby to bring us great joy, he's going to have to do something for us that will reach into the depths of who we are, to reach the brokenness and the need deep inside that nothing else can reach. Right? It can't be touched by wealth and riches. It can't be touched by health. It can't be touched by enough friends. There isn't enough decorating in the world to bring us this level of joy that's being described here by the angels. In order for this to be good news of great joys, this baby is going to have to touch our brokenness and turn it into beauty. He's going to have to be able to touch and unlock the shackles of shame and guilt and lead us into freedom and liberty. And so this is a, this is a pretty, pretty big proclamation being made here by the angel. The shepherds are out there. They hear the proclamation. Verse 11, the angel continues. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is in my, from my perspective, this is God's way of saying, I don't want you to miss it, okay? You're going to show up, and you're going to see this young guy, Joe, and his wife, Mary, this teenage girl, and it's not going to look majestic. It's not going to look like God was born, but I don't want you to miss it. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is the one. This is the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. Now, when I think about that, those titles that uh, Luke gives as he records what the angels are saying to Jesus. That means something to us today. It should. The first thing that he calls him is a savior, that this baby would be a savior, that he would rescue us. Now, if we're truly honest, in each one of our lives, there is a need to be rescued. And I don't know what it is in your life. Maybe something from your past that still invokes some level of guilt or shame and and the only thing you know to do with it is just hide it in a closet and pretend like it didn't happen. And ultimately, you need to be rescued from that. Maybe your life lacks meaning. And so you're here today hoping that somewhere in this Christmas story, you'll truly find a meaning for life. Not just meaning for today, not just a meaning for the season, but a meaning for life that might matter for eternity. That there might be a bigger story. And so you need to be rescued from meaningless. Others of us are complacent. Others of us are selfish. I don't know what your need is, but this baby comes to rescue us from our deepest need. But not only that, he calls him the Christ. And so in the New Testament, when you see the word Christ, this is a New Testament rendering of the Old Testament Messiah, the one who would come. Even all the way back to 2 Samuel 7, they were looking for this Messiah who would come. And I think on some level... All of us are looking forward. I think we're hardwired to look forward in life. When we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, amidst suffering, amidst, right, we want to we reach out for something, okay? And I don't know what that is in your life, but there's a good chance you're waiting on something to happen. You may be waiting on someone to happen. I know a lot of us, when we're single and we think that if I could just have that relationship, that, that'll make me happy. And others of us, then we get the relationship and we realize, well, that didn't work. That's what my wife said. I, I still think it's working. But, 
Then it, then it becomes a thing, right? This, this idea that if I achieve this position in my career path or I attain this possession or this house, this neighborhood, this thing will, once I finally get it, so we're reaching forward for something, thinking that it's going to truly bring us peace and joy until we attain it. It doesn't work, and then we replace it with something else. And so this idea of looking forward for something is hardwired in our souls. And what Luke is saying as he records the angel's, angel's proclamation, this is the one you're actually longing for. The one you have in your mind, scrap him. Ladies, your prince charming, scrap him, okay? He's not going to bring you joy, bring you turmoil and frustration. But there's one who has come to fulfill that longing, that looking forward to, to bring you peace in the midst of your circumstances. He's the Messiah, the Christ. Now, this third title given to Jesus is that he would be the Lord. And in our culture today, it is a very unpopular idea to let go of autonomy and submit to authority. Whether you're a Christian or not, our culture does not embrace the idea of submitting to authority. Now, the, the flip side of that is, we tend to think that we are best positioned in our lives to make decisions for ourselves, don't we? And so, in essence, we become a king unto ourselves, a lord unto ourselves. We evaluate what we want to be writing wrong, right or wrong, and we decide. We decide what will truly bring us happiness and peace in life, and then we go after it. Now, here's some irony, okay? Um, I was thinking about this this week, and as I think about my human experience, my small narrative, I don't know anybody in my life who has ever let me down more than myself. I don't know of anybody who has made more promises to me and not fulfill them than me. Isn't that kind of ironic? We trust ourselves so much. You know what, in addition to that? Think about this. Um, if you are over the age of 16, you'll be able to relate. If not, this is where you are, okay? Remember being 16 and knowing it all? If you're 16, you feel that way right now. And if you're 18, though, you look back at 16 and go, I was so ridiculous. I know it all now. But then what's going to happen is 18 is going to give way to 22. And at 22, you're going to be there. And you're going to say, oh, finally, I'm so glad I don't see the world like I did when I was 18. And then 22 is going to give way to 28. And at 28, you're going to be much more established, much more mature, much more settled. You're going to look back at 22 and go, I was such a fool for the way I lived and thought. And then what's going to happen is you're going to hit 38, and you're going to look back at 28. And you're going to say, God, if I could go back, man, how foolish I was. And I thought I knew it all. And you know what? I'm only at 38, so guess what? Right now, I feel like I look back at my life and go, I'm in the best position right now to make decisions for me. But you know what I know is true? I'm going to hit 48 and look back at the wisdom I had at 38 and go, I didn't know anything. Right? And I'm going to hit 58, 68. God willing, I'm at 78. And that's when you finally embrace, I don't know anything about anything, right, in life. Now think about that. We're pretty incompetent at ruling and leading our own lives, aren't we? When we lead simply from our perspective, our experience, my 38 vast years of wisdom, would mean nothing in 10 years. Nothing. And so not only am I the most unfaithful person to myself, I oftentimes am the most incompetent person to lead myself. See, there's great irony in, in clinging hard to self-autonomy and being your own Lord and King. Yet each one of us does it, don't we? We want to come up with our own set of rules, our own set of boundaries, our own decisions, our own pursuit of joy. 
And this one who was born in a manger has come to say this, I want to be a better king. I want to be the Lord of your life. Come follow me as I lead you into what is good, what is peaceful, and what brings true joy. And you're going to have to trust me in this. It's not going to look like the path you would take for yourself. My ways are not your ways. It's not going to look like wisdom to you. My wisdom is not your wisdom. But let's be honest, who better to sit in the position of Lord and King over our lives than the God of the universe, right? There's been none more faithful. This is a God who makes promises over a thousand years before Jesus is born, and he keeps them. I'll make a promise to you today, and I will wake up tomorrow and completely forget what I promised you. There's been none more faithful to us than this king. And let's just be honest, there's none more competent than a God who isn't just wise in this generation. He is, he is wise across the generations. As we just heard here, he is a God and a king from ancient of days. His perspective is much larger. And so as we see this narrative unfold for, for Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, God is unfolding a much larger narrative here, saying this is actually my story. Mary and Joseph, they're just characters in my story. I've planned this for a long, long time. I know it looks like Caesar had something to do with this story. This is my story. And here's what I want to say to you today. God is also writing your story. And I don't know if your perspective is like Mary and Joseph's from a human perspective, and all you can see is what's going on right now. But God is saying to you, to me, come bring me your story. I've got a bigger story unfolding here. I have a bigger perspective to unveil to you. The true story of Christmas is this, that Jesus has come, the Son of God, to bring good news of great joy that will lead to true peace. To be our Savior, our Rescuer, to fulfill all that you're longing for, all that you're looking forward to. He has come to guide us into a better life with a bigger perspective, with greater wisdom than any of us possess. See, this is the good news that brings great joy that the angel's talking about. As we continue on in the story in verse 13 of Luke 2, and suddenly, now something big's about to happen. This is just my interpretive take on what's about to happen, but if you read forward in your Bible to Revelation, Revelation 4 and 5, there's this beautiful, um, this beautiful snapshot of the glory of heaven with angels and worship and elders bowing down around the throne. And, and, and what I think in my mind is just about to happen for the shepherds is they're about to get a snapshot of what eternity is going to look like. Here's what happens along with the angel. Verse 13 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now for some of us in the room, we feel like we just got kicked out of the boat. Because we don't feel like there's ever anything we could do Right, that God would be pleased with us. Many of us in this room feel so far gone. The mistakes have been too vast. The depth of your brokenness is too deep for God to ever be pleased with you. And that's what the angels just said, that peace will come to those with whom God is well-pleased. And you don't feel like there's a chance God would ever be pleased with you. You don't think you could ever be obedient enough Faithful enough, 
good enough, kind enough, compassionate enough, loving enough. And so for you, it's a great story, but this is where I check out. There's no way God will ever be pleased with me. See, this is actually the point of the manger. This is God stepping into our world and taking on our flesh, walking our human experience, experiencing our sorrows, tasting our tears, knowing our pain. What we behold in the life of Jesus here on earth is Jesus, the Son of God, coming to earth to perform on your behalf and to earn God's favor. And so you're right. There's nothing you could ever do in your own strength, in your own merit, and your own ambition to where God would go, oh, now I'm pleased with you. Everybody, look over here. Be like him. Be like her. So that's a true, it's a true, that's a true feeling you have. There's nothing God would ever could ever do to impress God. And God says, I know. That's why I sent my son to perform on your behalf. So that by faith, you know what the true gift of Christmas is? It's the righteousness of Christ. And God says, by faith, here, take the pleasure I have in Jesus. That's the way I'll see you. This is where our peace comes from, knowing that finally God is pleased with us. This is where the weight begins to fall off. If you're a Christian, you know that, that experience. The burden begins to to be released. The shackles are unlocked, and, and all that you used to do to try to earn God's favor right, that wore you down and made you feel guilty. Now all that has been taken away. And so now you walk in freedom to pursue God, to pursue godliness and holiness, not to earn God's favor, but because you already have it. Because there's now peace resounding in the depths of who you are. Your brokenness has been made beautiful. Your imperfections have been perfected in the eyes of God. This is why God came to dwell among us, to earn God's pleasure on our behalf. In every human story, there's a much bigger story being told. And your 60, 70, 80, 90 plus years here on earth is just a small sliver in the meta-narrative story of God. And in the same way as we read Luke 2, this unfolding of, of human experience, right? That there's a bigger story shrouded in that human experience, so is your life. And maybe some of you for the first time are hearing that. God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and it begins with this one who was born in the manger, Jesus. That in him and through him, you would find truly what it means to be forgiven, to be loved, to be accepted, to be extended grace and mercy, unmerited, to be given an eternal purpose and a future. Jesus has been born in a manger to save us, to be our Messiah, the one we're longing for, and to truly be our king. You know, my favorite, probably my favorite part, as I mentioned earlier about the Christmas story, are the shepherds. I'll just let you in on that. What I love about the shepherds is this. If, let's think about this now. God's son has just been born to Joseph and Mary. We've already described the scenario. Right? So, who gets invited? These Second-rate, Bedouin, stinky shepherds. And in my mind, when I, when I see this beautiful unfolding of the narrative and I see the shepherds get to be invited, like every time I walk by a nativity, I go, what are they doing there? And God reminds me, if they can come, so can I. 
And that's my favorite part of the nativity. Every time I pass by the shepherds, I'm reminded if these guys are invited, then surely I am too. And I want you to know that. Despite whatever reasons you may think, you don't deserve to be in God's family, to be forgiven, to be loved unconditionally, to have somebody be faithful to you and never let you down. If you're in that position today, I want you to know God is telling us through this beautiful Christmas story, I've invited the least of these in. Even you. Right? Why, why shepherds? Why not governors and rulers and kings and shepherds? The coming of Christ to earth to walk among us and earn God's pleasure on our behalf is the best news the earth has ever heard. It's God's story. It's the true story of Christmas. God is inviting you to merge your story with his, to believe the most unbelievable story of all time, to see Jesus as your Christ, your Savior, and your King. I'm going to pray for you now. I don't know everybody in the room, and I'm going to pray for every person in the room that God would awaken our souls today. One, we would be able to see and behold the majesty and the wonder of the Christ King who was born, but two, that you would begin to see your story in a different light. And if you have not come to Jesus personally and trusted him as your Savior, your Christ, your King, that you would do that today. Our prayer partners are going to be down here at the front and the back. They, as always, wear a black lanyard to let you know who they are. They're here to talk with you and pray with you about becoming a Christian today. I'm going to pray for us now as our worship team prepares to come forward. Our prayer partners move into place. Let's pray together.